Right, hi everyone. Um, welcome back to BDI Resources IMG Advisor Podcast. Um, episode three is going to be all about IELTS and OET and the various routes of English language uh, requirements for the GMC and I guess for visas as well. So we're going to talk you through all of those. Um, and we've got Gabby in the room with us. She's going to shout out some kind of common, frequently asked questions uh, at the end of this as well. So stay tuned for those. Mm. Um, she's taking those from some some live uh, situations that some of our doctors are in at the moment. Um, so we will kick off. Um, Raj, you want to kick us off by talking about a bit about IELTS? About IELTS. Yeah, we're, we're hey. here as well. Oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry, did I not introduce you? You didn't, you didn't, Dan. Sorry about that. Uh, you're taking over this podcast, aren't you? It's not um, about you. Love the term line voice. Yeah, so I, I guess English language, uh, IELTS, everyone's favourite subject, really, I think. Um, <laughs> certainly my experience of doing this. Um, so, the, well, uh, to obtain GMC registration, um, I, I guess the, the kind of starting point for this has been. Um, that you have to be able to prove that you can speak English to a certain level uh, in order to practice safely in, in the UK. Um, so the, there's a few, well, there's actually four pathways to, to evidence uh, that for the GMC. Uh, the kind of first one, uh, which uh, we, we noticed this quite a lot with doctors that had frequently failed the English language test at the time, which was only IELTS, OET's only been uh, introduced for the last 18 months, um, was that doctors would go to Ireland first. I think that's a pretty good example of uh, the uh, the requirement for English-speaking country for two years. So we had a lot of doctors that tried, tried, tried again with IELTS, would fail writing uh, consistently. Um, but they would go to Ireland instead because Ireland, if as long as you've got a Royal College qualification, um, you didn't need to evidence that. Uh, so they would work in, in Ireland, an English-speaking country for, for two-year period, um, get the references uh, from the, the doctors that they'd be working with, the consultant team, uh, and submit that as, as evidence. So, and if, as long as you've done that, and as long as long and there is a big list of English-speaking countries uh, on the GMC website. Uh, I, think, I can't remember how many there are. Yeah, there's all sorts like Trinidad and Tobago, yeah. and Australia, New Zealand, America. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's kind of the, the, that's an obvious and easy route, but obviously it doesn't mm. apply to the vast majority of doctors we work with. No. Um, I think one of the, the kind of, they are quite particular about that as well. And yeah. It has to be a country from that list. You have to have been there for the most recent two yeah, years. Exactly. And uh, I don't think there's going to be in any gaps it, in that yeah, time. It's just, the reason being actually, because I remember having, a, a big fight with the GMC at the time regarding a doctor's uh, doctor's uh, uh, GMC registration um, is that the GMC on their guidelines and it's a, it's a little unknown protocol that they have um, on, on some piece of paper um, is that if you they they say that your English language competency if you've not been speaking it daily um, will, will start to deteriorate after I think it's 12 mm-hmm. months um, so if you if you have been in an English speaking uh, country for two years but then left um, if, if it's only for a period of less than 12 months you have a chance mm-hmm. anything more than that then uh, the, the GMC will, will knock it back and just say that you need to do OET or IELTS um, the second pathway is, is good old IELTS, um, which I think yeah. everybody knows about. Um, again, the, the kind of basics of, of IELTS, I guess, is that you need to score a minimum of seven in, in each each category, uh, and an average is 7.5. Um, IELTS, as a, a kind of test, um, it, it, it isn't 
specifically to do with um, medical language. And I think that's a kind of really important thing. Um, the IELTS test itself can, uh, uh, it, it, it can be, it throw up all sorts of weird and wonderful questions that you can get asked mm. in the exam. Yeah, write, write as a shopping list or, you know, all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Exactly that. I think that's why it's, it's so, so difficult for, for doctors um, that quite rightly, um, that that maybe don't compile shopping lists in their own country uh, <laughs> in another language. Uh, in another, in another language. <laughs> Why would you? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but uh, IELTS test centre is actually uh, quite prevalent, and I guess that's a good thing about IELTS is that yeah. you can quickly get uh, an exam if you need to do one. It's held in more than 140 countries. It's also held multiple times a month as well. I think the cost currently is, sits around about is it 200 pounds? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is a lot of money. It is, yeah. It's, it's a big commitment, mm. particularly if you're not confident about sitting and passing first time round. Yeah. Um, and some people do sit multiple times. Well, uh, again, I mean, <laughs> one of the things we found with IELTS was that we, we'd have doctors that sat it 20 times, mm. uh, 20 times, and always, always got 6.5 in writing. Um, yeah. uh, so it, it tends to be writing that's the most difficult thing to do with IELTS. Um, certain countries, uh, I know doctors from India, I seem to have, have an easier time with the writing uh, side of it, but... Um, yeah. That said, if you can't, if you're listening to this and you can't understand us, then you probably need to do some <laughs> more listening revision. It <laughs> <laughs> could be a good exercise for listening, though. Yeah. Maybe. Um, um, I think it's probably worth just mentioning that as well. You mentioned writing, the other three elements: reading, speaking, and mm-hmm. listening, uh, as well. And you mentioned at the start that you need to score a seven in each of those. So, yeah, you'll need to brush up on kind of all all elements of it, really. And mm. I think a lot of the IELTS exam, we speak to lots and lots of doctors who have perfect uh, spoken English when we talk to them on the phone and they have perfect written English when they mm-hmm. communicate with us through emails, uh, or it certainly seems that, but a lot of it is just about learning how to pass the exam. Yeah. As with a lot of exams, you mm-hmm. just need to figure out what it is the examiners are actually looking for um, and make sure you do your revision based on that. So using coaches I think is a really really good idea mm. and I think I don't know about you guys experience but people that come through coaches for me tended yeah. to have much higher pass rates so I think mm. it's a worthwhile investment yeah, there's, there's definitely a trick and particularly in the yeah. writing bit because uh, I know that um, there, there was a doctor that I worked with that there was he was fantastic and, and he, he was um, very charitable and shall I say that he used to help a lot of uh, other doctors or mm. doctors we were working with that struggled with the writing exam so just to learn the techniques about actually how to approach yeah. those questions and how to formulate the the answers the written answers as well a lot a lot of those coaches mm. as well um they they tend to have previously been invigilators for, for the british council mm. on the ielts test so they like they know what they're talking about because mm. they would have been the ones who previously would have marked tests yeah i think another good thing to to consider when choosing a, a coach is obviously you can have a local coach that's in your home country that you can maybe have them visit you or go and see them and, and learn it there. But there's occasionally, I think, a bit of an advantage to using an online coach who's based in the UK mm. um, and works for the British Council here. Um, you know, sometimes then mm. they can give a bit better advice than perhaps a, a home country yeah. Um, tutor. So, yeah, there's lots of considerations when it comes to that. Mm. But it is definitely a worthwhile investment, I would say. Yeah. 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 Um, don't just keep failing time and again and, and not do anything about it. Spending 200 pounds every It's the uh, definition exactly, of madness, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what's, the, what's the next one? Right. Uh, well, uh, just kind of last point on the IELTS, and obviously there has been, well, we're, we're going to come and talk about OET exam, but mm. there used to be this ridiculous situation where you'd have to do the OET. If you pass the OET exam, you'd then have to sit IELTS UKVI. 
that has now been scrapped, thankfully. Yeah. Um, which well, that's probably a good point to say mm. as well. If you're doing the IELTS test for GMC registration, make sure it's the academic version mm. of the IELTS because some people fall into the trap of doing the wrong type. Yeah, um, and then along came OET, which seems to have been a, a big game changer for yeah. uh, a lot of doctors, um, and we're certainly seeing more and more doctors coming through now that are, are quite easily passing the OET exam. And that's not to say that it's easier in any way, shape, or form. I think it's just the subject matter, um, the the actual questions are just more relevant. Uh, yeah, if, you, if you're yeah. using medical terminology on a day to day basis. Uh, then it, it kind of um, it, it makes sense that if, you, if you're given a, given a question and uh, or um, mm. any question on a, a medical terminology, then it's going to fit better into the criteria of the marking system. Yeah, I think for the writing part of that, mm. like if you take IELTS as an example, we mentioned mm. writing a shopping list. I know that seems ridiculous, but that is genuinely one of the one of the questions. Sometimes mm. in the OET equivalent of that for the writing, you might be asked to write a patient note yeah. or a referral yeah. to another doctor. So it is much more specific. I don't think it changes either, Tom. I think that's an important thing as well, because whereas yeah. with IELTS, it could be any subject matter that would be thrown at you. Uh, I think you always have to do the, the kind of reflective patient notes uh, on the OET exam. So mm. uh, again, you, the, the more times that you sit that, you, know, you should be better prepared for it next time. Yeah, I think that's it. Is it. A lot of people ask that question to us, is it easier? Is, is OET mm. easier? And would you recommend it for that reason? And I, I think the, the key thing here is that you've still got to demonstrate the same level of English. Mm. It's just that that level of English is, is able to be represented in a more... Uh, practical environment for mm. a doctor so it, it's the occupational English test so it's specific questions yeah. geared towards scenarios that you would find yourself in every day rather than mm. writing a shopping list as Tom yeah. said yeah. you know so yeah it's, it's I wouldn't say easier but I think more appropriate for the people that we're um, that we're dealing with and for doctors mm. in particular which I think is great and uh, Jermaine uh, I think that as we touched on our kind of first podcast but how desperate the NHS is for for, for international doctors that mm. it certainly has kind of opened up as uh, what for uh, the opportunity for more doctors to to get there quicker and I think that's the, the think important so, yeah. thing if you're, but, if you're working in the Middle East mm. you're probably using English as your main medical language yeah. anyway so mm. there's less sort of revision involved yeah um, so uh, the OET exam I mean it's a different scoring system it's it's not uh, done numerically it's uh, a grading system yeah. um, and uh, again with similar to IELTS four areas that are tested uh, but you're going to need to get a minimum of uh, B overall and and four Bs in each of the uh, each of the elements. Um, it's it's now held in forty one countries, and I guess that was the the big drawback with the OET exam to start with is it wasn't that prevalent. Uh, there were there weren't that many test centres. Um, I believe that they're just opening up an OET test centre in Pakistan now, yeah, which yeah, is right. it's going to be far more convenient. We obviously have a, a lot of doctors from Pakistan that um, have traditionally had to take the IELTS test because there hasn't been any test centres that. Um, uh, that were nearby that they could go to. Um, that, that said, be aware, I, I had spoke to a doctor recently mm. who, from where he was, and I can't remember the exact country that he's in at the moment, but uh, he was saying that there's a six-month waiting list for the yeah, OET. So sure. yeah. be- because because it's so popular, because mm. it's occupational-based, and you know, as we said, not an easier test, but some people may find it easier, 
there are limited test centres yeah. and it's only held once a month and so the waiting list can be huge so I would and, get, and the get cost ahead of as that. well I think Tommy because I mean it's, it's substantially more it's £349 yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. in comparison with the, the £200 for IELTS but um, again it, it, each each test is it has, has the merits and um, mm. I think it's just about finding out as an individual what kind of suits you, you best and what, what's going to be easier for you yeah yeah, yeah. um there is another route of uh, of entry for English language requirements for proving them, um, which is called the SELR. So this is the Structured English Language Reference Form, and um, it's something that is is very occasionally used by the NHS. And essentially, um, it relies on your prospective employer testing your level of English uh, on their own part. So. They still need to be able to demonstrate that you've still got the same level of English as you would have if you sat IELTS or OET and scored the sevens or the Bs that, you, that are required. Um, but they can give you objective tests to mm. test each of the areas reading, writing, speaking, and listening by putting you in clinical scenarios, for example, um, and getting you to write down um, patient notes or letters to colleagues or whatever it might be or to host um, potential scenarios over Skype and things like that. Mm. So it's an option. Um, but that said, the thing you have to really consider here is that it needs to be signed off by the person who would be hiring you and the responsible officer for the whole hospital. So they are putting their name to the fact that you have a, a, as good a level of English as someone who sat those tests, those exams. So there is a reluctance yeah. to use yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's always used. Yeah, absolutely right with that, uh, Dan, as well, is that there's a huge reluctance uh, from NHS Trust to, to use, uh, and, and, and that is why it, it seems to only be prevalent within emergency medicine, because, yeah. again, that, that is by far uh, the, the, the largest um, shortage area within the NHS. Um, I think even within emergency medicine, mm. you still need to have a very compelling case yeah. that, you know, you've perhaps worked in an English speaking country for mm. some time or the vast majority of your work's been done in English or mm. you've written articles in English or you've sat exams in English. You need to be able to show a good level of evidence. So, I mean, lots of doctors say to us, should I bother? Why don't I just get yeah. exemption? And I think you still have to have a and very compelling I, case. I, if you I think down that because route. this has become more prevalent as well, uh, and more and more NHS trusts have been using it, the GMC are, are super, super tight on yeah. this now. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas before um, uh, the SELR form, you may have got away with a, a, fa a fairly generic form that had been uh, been written. Um, that's not the case anymore. Yeah. Uh, it has to be super in-depth. In and it takes ages. It generally does. I mean, it, it yeah. can't it can't take anything up to we, three four months for for it to be approved. And mm. uh, and again, it, that's that's on the basis that it's gone through um, with no problems at all. There will still be problems with any GMC um, uh, yeah. application. Uh, so, uh, I mean, our advice would be, I guess, is that don't rely on it. If you can pass a WTO else, do it. Um, that will give you better opportunities. Um, yeah, we really learned about that the hard way because when we started doing the SLR form probably about three years ago-ish, mm. we made some mistakes. We weren't sure what, what people were looking for. But as it's gaining popularity, more people were, were going through it and we formulated a really good structure for, for getting them approved by the GMC and for allowing hospitals to assess English. More and more doctors started talking about it. Mm. And obviously it was a bit like wildfire where some people get an exemption and it's successful and then everyone goes, all right, well, I'm not going to do the test anymore because I'm just going to get exempted. Mm. And that is just 
just not the case. It is a very, very minute volume of doctors who are able to to go through that because they've got the right background or they've done, you know, the right clinical experience in the right country and they've got the right qualifications to prove. Um, and they've done a robust assessment, whether that's face-to-face or via Skype with the hospital. Mm. It, it just is not applicable to, to, not even to the majority, but to most people. Um, so again, general advice on, on that as a, as a route, listen back to the start of the podcast because it's it's only going to work in a very very small number of cases mm. usually just within emergency medicine so there are a lot of different permutations for like the criteria that you need to get a form successfully approved and for the structure that it's written in and for all the different approvals like Dan was saying the RO the responsible officer for the trust which is usually the medical director which is obviously the most you know senior clinical person in the hospital so you know, that's just, I. if you're listening to this and you're thinking about moving to the UK, and you, I would just generally discount that as an option. Mm-hmm. Um, unless someone's spoken to you and assessed your background, which we can do, um, we'll tell you honestly whether mm-hmm. or not you've got a shot at it. But um, I, I would certainly wouldn't bank on it. Yeah. yeah. And so the old saying, isn't it? If, it? if it's too good to be true, <laughs> yeah, probably, it probably is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just a quick note, I think we have mentioned it, but I think it's worth just reiterating that there's been a recent change um, from the Home Office, which means that they will now accept both IELTS and OET. Uh, sorry, I should point out IELTS UKVI versions and OET um, as the proof of English language for your tier two visa mm-hmm. applications as well. So up until recently, you could only use uh, IELTS and that left some people who come through the OET route having to reset their IELTS exam just for their tier yeah. two visa. No longer will you need to do that. So uh, that's some really, really good news and a, a kind of positive step mm. for IMGs that's come in recently. Definitely. Um, don't Common worry sense has prevailed at last. Yeah, yeah. Don't, and don't worry too much about the mm. scores when it comes to the tier two bit either, because I think the scores were only around four, four and, and C's, I think it is. So yeah. mm. if you've if you've hit the GMC bit, you'll be fine for the um, for the tier two bit. Uh, the relevance of, of your certificates, they are only relevant for two years as well. I think that's the case for both uh, GMC and Tier 2. I'm looking at Gabby and she's nodding, so I think that's the case. Um, yeah, so so make sure that if you sat your um, your IELTS or your OET two years ago, um, that it's still going to be in date when you get to, to put in that GMC application or visa application. Um Good. Uh, there's a few. There's a few issues that um, Gabby's written down for us. That I think have actually come from some doctors uh, from IMG Advisor that have posted their questions, um, and we wanted to kind of run through a few of those really. So mm. I think one of the first ones was um, how long does it actually take to study for and to pass IELTS and OET? I'll, I'll answer that one. How long is a piece of string? <laughs> uh, it is. It's entirely dependent on the individual doctor. And for for you who are listening to this and thinking about setting an exam where we've passed and failed previously, the the best piece of advice I can give and what we've talked about already is get a coach or a tutor, yeah. do some study revision. I get, I, get something to assess your assignments. Yeah, and I absolutely appreciate that you mm. all have you know, busy medical jobs, you're all seeing patients. And one of the, the things that you hear a lot is that they don't have time to study. I think the reality is that if you don't, then um, you need to find some time because if you just keep sitting the exam again and again, 
and you keep failing in the same part so you're not improving, then obviously you need to do something about it. If it was a medical test that you were to sit, you would revise for it. You couldn't just resit it. You would have to study, read research, um, you know, search for journal papers on whichever procedure or uh, clinical aspect you're, you're looking into or you're being tested on. The same applies to your English language. There are no shortcuts. Um, there's no sort of magic bullet. There's no um, easy win. You, you mm. just have to study. The, I think that there's a lot of, um, if you look on Facebook, there's a lot of IELTS OET kind of support groups, if you like, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, well I, I've seen some where you, you can send in your writing examples and people will assess it, critique it, give good feedback. Mm. Uh, I guess get involved in that community. Uh, I think it's, it's obviously easier to study when... Um, you're studying with, with other people going on that yeah. same journey with you as well get a good study partner again is, is something that we, we kind of touched on um, but yeah there, as Tom mentioned there are no shortcuts to it um, you, you've got to put the, the hard work in um, and, and, and learn learn the test that's the, the big thing I, w- I wouldn't bank on changes to the exam marking as well mm, I know there's no. been a lot of campaigning about reducing the pass mark and bringing it down to six and a half in writing or, or whatever yeah. I think that the main problem with that and the reason that in my opinion it won't ever happen is because the GMC to give you the, the license to practice to see patients to you know to literally take their life mm. in your hands um, you have to be confident and, and they they have to be confident that you have the adequate skills not to misinterpret the dosage on a drug or, um, you know, the, the part of a procedure that you're performing or interactions with nurses, it, obviously, especially in, in things like A&E and surgery where you're working under pressure, language cannot be a barrier. And so I think, in, in my opinion, I don't know if you guys agree with me, they will always keep that high, high standard because yeah, yeah. they will be responsible for um, negative outcomes of patients if, it, if yeah. that's what impacts it. Mm. Absolutely. Because the, the NHS is, is highly politicised, it's also it, any any issue within the NHS, the media in this country in particular like to jump all over. Um, so it, 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 as Tom mentioned, it, it's it, those high standards are to give the public in the UK confidence yeah. in those yeah. doctors coming coming mm-hmm. from overseas. So, um, and quite rightly as well. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, the the next one that came in was um, from a doctor who's failed IELTS four times. Um, they're saying, what should they do? So, I mean, have we got some advice that we could give to someone that sat IELTS in particular? on four different occasions and failed. They've not mentioned which, which area they've failed in, admittedly, but I think general advice? I think outside of what we've mentioned about study partners and communities of revision, um, try the OET exam is probably yeah. my, my, my predominant piece of advice. It might just be that the structure of the IELTS test is the thing that's holding you back. Um, mm. Switch it up. The same could apply for if you sat OET a couple of times and failed it. Mm. Try the, the IELTS just as an alternative format. See if that's more... I don't know, yeah. uh, the only thing I would say with that it, again it, it depends on uh, how how badly you've failed yeah. uh, I think, I think if, if you're getting fours and IELTS I don't think you're going to hit the mark in no. the OET exam so if you're half a, half a point away or half a mark away um, then that might be a good option um, but again without knowing the scores it's, it's difficult to yeah, I think the, the difference between a four and a four and a half is very different to the difference between a seven and a seven and a half. Yeah, it, it can seem worlds away to get that, um, you know, that extra half a mark from six point five to seven or seven. I think it's 7. the to bring your average up. I think it's the it's either the GMC, the British Council, that, and I think it's the GMC actually. Their sort of research would suggest that to increase your mark in IELTS by half a point, 
takes six months of practice in English language. So, I mean, if you apply that formula, if you got a five in writing and you're trying to get a seven, mm. in theory, if you apply that, it's going to take you two years to get through with the, with the appropriate mark. So you, you do have to do something different. Yeah. Practice, practice, practice. I think that's probably the yeah. main thing here. Practice makes perfect. So it does. Um, I have two more questions. Oh, yeah. Well, right, cool. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, a doctor has asked in that after they've worked in the UK for a year, do they need to reset any English language exams to renew their GMC licence? No. No. It's the long and short of it. Once you've um, passed that and you've got your GMC registration, you will then be expected to upkeep your GMC registration by revalidating and doing appraisals. And we'll talk about that more in uh, in further episodes. But um, yeah, once you've got it and you're in the UK, it, it's there. You're set for the continual future. Yeah, yeah. just remember to pay your fee. I know nobody likes yeah. to nobody likes to pay fees for anything, but that's it's pretty important. <laughs> and a second question as well: um, Do their dependents need to sit an English language exam to apply for a Tier Two dependency visa? Great question. No, no. <laughs> 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 um, I guess the only caveat with that would be uh, again, and this is it seems to be something that, that's quite prevalent amongst doctors. That lots of doctors are, are married uh, to other doctors, um, so uh, but again, you, you your spouse would have to satisfy the English language. Um, the GMC for the, for the GMC or, or have to set IELTS or ET um, in order to get GMC registered but uh, but if your spouse isn't a doctor and has no plans to register with the GMC then no have you got anything else for us? No. Oh, I was expecting them to be much harder than yeah. that. Yeah, Gabby, you've, you've really let yourself down there. <laughs> if, if anyone really, really wants to challenge Gabby or challenge us, then uh, yeah. email or, or send in your, your questions and we'll, we'll help you in your individual situations. Yeah. Good. Um, well, thank you so much for listening. I hope that's been really, really helpful in terms of giving you a bit more of an insight into the options that you've got for demonstrating your English language skills. Um, please do connect with us on IMG Advisor on Facebook. Uh, email any questions to apply at bdiresourcing.com or uh, send them directly to, to any of us if you've got our email addresses. Um, we'll be more than help, uh, happy to help. Um, and the next podcast that we're going to do is going to be about PLAB. So, yeah, the next uh, next one up is PLAB. So please stay tuned and listen to the next one. All right. Cheers, guys. All right, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.